2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to cover the whole chapter, 1 through 15. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. The word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Last week, we, we started down this journey. Uh, I, I, let me explain where we are. Just a word here. I was talking to another pastor this week, and he said, well, you know, how did it go last week? I said, well, I thought it went well. I, you know, I don't know. Ask some of the folks who listen to the sermon. <laughs> and he said, what are you, pre what are you preaching on this week? I said, well, giving. Well, wasn't that what you were preaching on last week? I said, yeah. He said, you're going to do it two weeks in a row? And I said, yeah. He said, why? I, you know, I do this like once every two or three years. I said, chapter 8 and chapter 9. I said, it's the same thing. And, and, you know, my commitment to you quite some time ago, actually in 2004, uh, was that we would go through the Bible chapter by chapter. And we wouldn't skip over the hard parts, and we wouldn't skip over the the easy parts either, but it would be the full counsel of God's word. So here we are in chapter 9, and, and Paul is expanding on his teaching that he did last week, last chapter. Of course, the letter's not divided up into chapters. It's supposed to be a letter. Uh, that, that's there for our convenience, but, but what, what we heard last week is that Paul had this lesson that giving is an expression of grace, and uh, that should cause us to think about giving perhaps a little bit differently than we have in the past. It's an expression of the grace that we've received. God has given us grace, and so uh, in, in our efforts to emulate him and our efforts to be conformed to his image, we, we give as well. God poured out his grace 
for our salvation into us and uh, it, we're made into vessels so we're supposed to pour the things God pours into us we're supposed to pour out was what Elder Areola prayed just a little few minutes ago so uh, this is one way to put uh, an aspect of his grace on display is to give, to freely give grace. And, and how we give that is, is important as well. So, in other words, God gave freely. He gave unconditionally. And as his representatives, as his ambassadors, you can see Paul building his case here, uh, we demonstrate his presence in our lives by doing what he did, by, by giving. So, this morning, Paul is going to show us the impact that giving should have on our walk. And we're going to see a biblical truth in our passage. Now, it's a, it's a familiar truth, but we're, we're, going to, we're going to kind of dig deep on this one this morning. So our sermon this morning is called The Reward. Uh, this is part 13 of our ongoing series uh, called I Am Content in 2 Corinthians. And here's the biblical truth that Paul's going to build on today. Again, this is something we're familiar with, but we're, we're going to unpack this in a different way this morning. So here, here's the truth. We reap what we sow. Have we heard that before? Amen. We've heard it before. Paul's going to, to talk about this, and in doing this, he's going to lead them right into a maybe a little bit of a surprising promise, okay? But um, he's going to do this in three steps. We're going to see his review uh, his look again at the Corinthian situation in verses 1 through 5. Then we'll see a reminder that he has for them in verses 6 through 9. And in verses 11 through 15, we will see a reward. So, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the reward when we get there. So let's look first at this review of the Corinthian church. Um, Paul's been doing some neat stuff here. You know, there's this tension he's got with them. He's visited. He started the church. He's had a huge impact on them. The Holy Spirit is moving through them. But there's been some misunderstanding, some miscommunication, and some disappointment as well. In other words, Paul has a typical relationship with the Corinthian church like we have with each other. Uh, so, uh, and maybe, maybe the, Paul's not living up to their expectations. So there's some tension there. And in the middle of the tension, some other people have come in and started making accusations against Paul. And Paul's defense against those accusations has been very eloquent. Uh, and a large part of that defense has been Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians. Uh, he's constantly building them up. Uh, now, he's trusting that the Jesus Christ is in them as Jesus Christ is in him, and that that will be enough to get them through to the other side of this tension. But he's, he's just he's constantly encouraging them. And he does part of that in, in the last two chapters. He does it by bragging on them. He says, I just tell everybody how great you are. I, and now we need to think about that, okay? Uh, because this is in light of the tension between them. Um, how many of you folks like confrontation? Anybody look forward? Oh, I'll have a big confrontation this afternoon. I'm really looking forward. Yeah, yeah. So none of us like it, okay? So there have been a couple letters. Paul hasn't shown up. The Corinthians are a little bit upset. And, and Paul kind of comes in, and, and you, you could see, you know, they're, they're opening the letter, going, well, what's he going to say now? And he goes, man, I love you guys. You know, as a matter of fact, I love you so much, I've been bragging on you. I've been telling everybody how wonderful you are. I've been telling everybody how the Spirit is moving through you. Now, think about what that's going to do to the confrontation. You know, what do you do with that? I, I mean, all you could do is just stand there and smile. Yeah, he's bragging on us. <laughs> 
Were we mad at him? I mean, that's kind of what it's So, you know, he starts out with, he's still bragging on them. And he's talking now about their ministry to the saints. Now, we spoke last week a little bit about this, but the church in Jerusalem is in trouble. Uh, they've been scattered by the persecution that started with, with uh, Stephen's uh, sermon in Acts chapter 7. Uh, and they've gone all over the region. Now they're, they're, as, they're as far almost as Rome now. And uh, uh, the people who stayed behind, because God always deals with a remnant, doesn't he? There, some people stayed behind in Jerusalem. They're having a rough time. They're probably not working. They're probably, they probably social outcasts. Uh, they've done something distasteful. Uh, the Roman governors, um, as a matter of fact, it's gone all the way to Rome, are, are now beginning to oppress the church. Um, and, and the people don't like what the Christians are doing, not because necessarily they, they are disagree with Christianity, but they're causing problems with Rome. Okay? And that means that soldiers are starting to show up and taxes are being raised, and that sort of thing. So all this is kind of falling on the church, in particular in Jerusalem, and they're having a hard time getting by. So Paul's out there raising funds to help them. And, and you know, his reasoning is uh, the gospel came down in Jerusalem, the, Holy, the indwelling Holy Spirit appeared at Pentecost and spread out from there. And as it spreads out from there, now they will in turn, the, the, the regions that are far flung from Rome will in turn help Rome with, with their problem as well. So we see this in, in Romans 15. This is after the fact. This is after Paul's uh, letter to the Corinthians. Uh, but he says to the Romans, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, the Spirit coming down, the gospel going forth, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So there's blessings all around, spiritual and material. And in verse 2, Paul says, I know of your readiness of which I boast about. This is, this is him bragging upon them, upon them. So we need to understand Paul's not being manipulative. Paul's not trying to put a guilt trip on them. Now, we know that because of the body of Paul's writings. He's, he's a humble guy. Uh, he, he's not there to force people into doing something. He's perfectly willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work on them as he speaks. So Paul really is bragging about them. He's not trying to put them in an awkward position, but the reality of the fact is that Paul's bragging about them, and, and he's telling them about it, and it's going to make them think about their situation because, as we find out in verse 3, maybe, maybe they're having a hard time following through on the promise they made. Now, is that, do we ever run into that? Do we ever make a vow uh, in the excitement of a moment and then start thinking about it afterwards? Let me ask you this. How many of you have gone to a timeshare vacation presentation? Yeah, just about everybody. You know, you need to go to one, Jeremy. <laughs> Yeah, because it's quite an experience. You get this letter, and it says, hey, we want to give you four days in Florida. And we're going to give you a meal ticket to a nice restaurant. We're going to send you to Disney World, and you're going to have a fantastic time. And 
All you got to do is listen to a presentation for 45 minutes. Well, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I, I'm just a fool for these things. I, I, you know, and I, and I think, I think they're going to give me all this stuff and all I got to do is sit there for 45 minutes. Well, if you've ever been, you know, it, it, it ain't anywhere near 45 minutes. And, and, it, and the presentation is nice, but then they hand you over to one person and another person and, and it turns into intimidation. You're there for hours and hours and hours and, and pretty soon you're, you're just kind of begging to get out. Can I just leave here? No, you can't leave here. Okay, but for me, that initial presentation is just fantastic. And I listen to it, and I go, this is the greatest deal in the world. All I got to do is give them $12,000, make payments on it for the next 10 years, and then I'll never have to pay for a vacation again. Let's sign up. You know, fortunately, I have a very wise wife who's sitting there going, no, 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 no. Uh, you know, and, and, and fortunately, I don't listen to the part about there are, there are carrying charges afterwards, there are transfer charges afterwards. You really can't do it over here. You really can't do it at that time. You can do it over here and at this time if you just pay this extra, and it just never stops. So how many people do you think sign up for those things, they don't have a wise wife like I do, and go home and have what? Buyer's remorse. Isn't that what Paul's talking about here? Is it possible that the Corinthians are having some buyer's remorse? So Paul, in verse 5, shows that he feels there's a need to, re to review the details of the commitment they made. He doesn't want them to be embarrassed. He doesn't want them to be ashamed of each other. Uh, he doesn't want to be embarrassed himself, but he wants to make it clear to them, look, you, you said you were going to do this. I, I believe you, you when you said it. I, I'm trusting in you to do it. Uh, not to put a weight upon them, but to show that there's some mutual trust, to show that, that he, he accepts them as they are to do what they say they're going to do. So Paul wants, wants to kind of review it. We went over this. You made the promise. You know, I just, I just want to let you know you made the promise, and these guys are coming to get the money. So Paul's review really does ser serve two purposes here. It shows them that he trusts them to be true to their word, even though he's got to bring it up. But it also shows that Paul understands how these things work. He, he gets it. He, he, he understands that enthusiasm can wane, that good intentions can uh, begin to soften a little bit. I think this is why Paul mentioned Macedonia in chapter 8 and their extreme poverty. I think he wants the Corinthians to know, so look, your story inspired the Macedonians to, to give, and they don't have anything to give. They're up there begging if they can take part in this, and those people have nothing. And maybe their story will inspire you, and maybe there'll be some unity and mutual blessing here. So I think, I think Paul did a little motivational talk. You know, uh, well, what, what, did, what do you think that talk looked like? And uh, yeah, I was pondering that this week, and I remembered uh, I used to work for one of the Redskins. Uh, we were back, and we, we were in the, the last days of the Redskin dynasty, and they had won a couple Super Bowls and all that, and uh, I used to go to the games with my boss, and uh, he would give me a go-anywhere pass. I could go anywhere in the stadium. 
uh, got to watch games from the sidelines. I, I got to go into the locker rooms. I got to have lunch with the press and, and all that. And it, it really was a fabulous experience. And uh, whenever they would play the Philadelphia Eagles and New York Giants, uh, somebody on the East Coast, I would go to the games with them. And uh, so we were, in, we were down at RFK, uh, 1993, I think it was, playing the Eagles. And, and the Redskins were losing by, I think, nine points. And Joe Gibbs had left as coach and Norv Turner. Everybody remember Norv Turner? Everybody wanted to see, well, how's Norv going to do compared to Gibbs? And, and now they're losing to the Eagles. It was a little bit of a rivalry game. And at halftime, I thought, I'm going to go down to the locker room and listen to what Norv has to say to these guys. So I walk into the locker room. That's quite an experience itself. There's a certain aroma <laughs> to a football team that's been out battering themselves against each other for a couple of hours. And I just kind of stood in the corner and stayed out of the way. And I listened to North Turner give this talk. And you know what? He was animated. He was excited. Uh, but he wasn't belittling them. He wasn't, he wasn't making them feel small. He was reminding them of what they were capable of doing. And he went over the training they had. And he went over the game plan and the teaching that they had. And the more he talked, the more excited he got and the more enthusiastic he got about their capability to do what he knew they could do because they had already demonstrated that they could do it. And by the time he was done, it was a 10-minute talk or so, I was ready to go out and play football. I said, give me the ball, coach. I'll take it in. You know, I, I can do this too, okay? Uh, now, they lost. <laughs> you know, it's a, it, it didn't work. Uh, but it... it the idea was that he, he wasn't trying to get them to do something that they were incapable of doing. He wasn't trying to get them to do something that, 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 that was beyond their grasp. He was just trying to get them to do what they already knew how to do. That's what Paul is doing right here. He's saying, I've seen the spirit in you. It's the same spirit that's in me. I know that you can do this. You just have to have an understanding of how it works. Let's review it one more time over how this works in you. It's working in me. It can work in you. So he goes from that, and, and he, thinks, he thinks he needs to emphasize this a little bit stronger. He knows what they can do. Uh, he's seen it working in them. And, and now Paul wants to reinforce what he's saying. So Paul uses a contemporary illustration. That's kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> when, you know, we, we, I work with Simeon Trust, and we do these preaching workshops. And one of the things we teach in a pre preaching workshop is to make a point and illustrate it. Make a point and illustrate it. Uh, and it's supposed, to, it's supposed to give you an opportunity to kind of absorb the point and process it. Well, Paul's doing that. He just said, you can do this. And then he gives them an illustration, something they would be familiar with. And he even tells them. You know, in, in the beginning of chapter, uh, verse 6 here, the point is this. Paul's saying, this is what I'm trying to tell you. This is what I want you to get out of this. This is the, the goal of that little teaching that I just did. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, this has an, an agrarian uh, connotation to it we'll get to in just a little bit but they would have understood exactly what Paul is saying and I got to tell you something else it's not a new concept this is not the first time this shows up in scripture it kind of 
pokes his head above the water from time to time. So it's a consistent biblical truth that we see portrayed in Scripture uh, from the Old Testament through the New Testament. In Proverbs 11:24, Pastor uh, Elder Ernest read this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Uh, there's an abundance when you're giving. There's, there's, there's a, a lack of abundance when you don't give. Uh, to boil this down, what the, the, the wise man in Proverbs is trying to say is when we bless, we will be blessed. When we bless, we will be blessed. Now, I, I want to talk about this for a second, okay? This has been used and abused and distorted and blown all out of proportion. Uh, so we're all familiar with a term called the prosperity gospel, uh, which basically asserts that if you give money to the church, if you give money to the ministry, usually the guy on TV or on the radio, God is obligated to return it to you. Okay? That's, that's, not, that's not what Proverbs is telling us. So we, 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 we need to get our arms around this because I think we, we hear things like this and, and as a mature congregation, you understand the problem with it, so we reject the idea. We set it aside. We don't give it the consideration that it's due. So, I, you know, I remember I used to, um, I used to listen to a guy uh, on the radio, and I, every week I heard him, and I, I just loved the guy. And, and his whole message was based on when you give God money, he is obligated to return it to you 100-fold. He actually said one time, if you give God $10, he's going to give you 1000 And that was great news to me because I didn't have any money. You know, Kelly and I were a brand new couple. Uh, we were scraping by. We were living paycheck to paycheck. And uh, how many of you have gone out and bought macaroni and cheese when it was on sale? I, I mean, we would wait for those sales. And when they were five for a dollar, Kelly would come home with 30 of them because that would take care of us for 30 days. You know, and if hot dogs were on sale, we'd have some of those too, and we'd freeze them. So we, we, we just... You know, we, we had an old car. We didn't have money for gas. We're paycheck to paycheck. And I'm listening to this guy. And so the message really sounded enchanting to me. I liked the idea. I found out that he was doing a simulcast up in Winchester. Now, we were living down in Annadale. I didn't really have enough money to get to Winchester, but I scraped together enough money to buy gas to go out there. When we got there, he showed up. He was there. Everybody was like, ah he's here, he's here, he's here. I thought, we get to meet the guy in person. So he gives a 25-minute message, which was relatively based on scripture. And then he went into a 20-minute presentation on the collection they were about to take and talked about, well, if you give this, God's going to give it back to you a hundredfold. So it doesn't matter. You give him a dollar, you're going to get a hundred dollars. You get 10, you're going to get a thousand. You give a thousand, you're going to get a hundred thousand dollars. I had 10 bucks in my pocket. It was my money to get home. And when that collection bag came, man, I threw it in there. I'm waiting for somebody to come up and go, hey, we saw that. Here's a, here's a thousand bucks. And, you know, well, that didn't happen. But I stood by the door. When he came through, I shook hands with him. And something went click on me because I looked at him and the guy was wearing a $3,000 suit. And I said, well, wait a minute. I don't have any money. I don't know how I'm going to get home. 
I looked down when he shook my hand. I said, his watch is worth more than my car. And I'm giving him money? Why am I giving him money? And I had to be honest with myself. It wasn't his problem. I thought I was going to get repaid. I thought if I did this, God is obligated to pay me back. All I got to do is go home and wait for the check. Well, it was a moment of dawning reality for me. And see, that's how verses like these have been used in the past to build false hope, to build up ministries that go into the hundreds of millions of dollars. So we want to be careful with that, but we don't want to discard that either. The next verse in Proverbs says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters him will himself be watered. Think about this. Because this is, this is an example from the plant world. When you water a plant, what happens? It grows. Roots go deeper. Leaves get healthier. If the plant produces fruit, it produces more fruit. It produces more, uh, healthier fruit. So we have to understand that when we start giving, God will bless. But the blessings may be our spiritual growth. The, the blessings may be our spiritual health. We may draw closer to the Father. We may draw, be drawn deeper into an understanding of his character and nature. We may all of a sudden look at the word and it, the words start jumping off the page at us and start going deeper and deeper into our hearts. So the blessings are not always material. Paul's already set the stage for, well, there are material blessings and spiritual blessings. And what we're seeing as we develop this here is that the spiritual blessings are far more valuable than the physical blessings. So we don't want to miss the spiritual blessings while we're watching out for the physical blessings. But the principle is there. Malachi says this in 3.10, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Wow. Spiritual blessing. Luke says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we see this spiritual, biblical principle played out here. And, and here it is in a nutshell. Keep this in mind. The things we give will be the things we get. The things we give will be the things we get. They're going to be in equal measure. Keep that in mind, okay? Because I want to I dive into this a little deeper than, than maybe we expect. Paul doesn't avoid the issue. He, he's trying to show us that we're being shaped into his image. You know, we talked last week, Jesus came down, he gave up the throne, he walked out of heaven, came and walked among us, he, he gave everything, he surrendered everything so that we could be spiritually enriched. So Jesus sets the bar for giving. Well, how do, we, how do we emulate that? How do we imitate that? Well, we already know the part of the money. I think we kind of get that. We trust God with it. But I think it goes deeper than a lot of people think. And I want to I turn this upside down. I want to I take money out of the equation. Just 
Take that whole money issue and set it aside. You can bring it back later. Set it aside. And, and understand that this, this, uh, this sowing and reaping applies to other areas of our lives. And I want you to think, I just want you to think about what's happening around us and how rapidly things are changing. I've come to you and talked to you before. You know, one of the goals that, that I have in, in my ministry is to equip you to live in, in a time such as this. And, you know, the ground is shifting beneath our feet, folks. And we need to see it for what it is, not for what we would like it to be. Um, Ten years ago, uh, we had a completely different environment than we have right now. Things are changing very, very, very rapidly. We're having discussions now that we wouldn't have dreamed of having 10 years ago. And there's a shift occurring. And the shift is against the church. We live in an environment where it's okay to think anything you want to think except Christian thoughts. It's okay to believe anything you want to believe except Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. You can make up a new definition of the family, you can make up a new definition of gender, but you can't think what we think. And as soon as we begin talking about the Bible and talking about Jesus Christ, and, and this tide, if, if you haven't experienced this yet, it's coming. As soon as we talk about these things, we're labeled a bigot, narrow-minded. You know, we don't need that type of critical thinking around here. So this tide is shifting, and we exist in a time when there is anxiety, when there is fear, when there is doubt about what is real, we're redefining uh, reality every day. No, that's not real. This is real. No, that's not true. This is true. You can have your own truth as long as it's not a Christian truth. So there's confusion out there. And, and we exist, and we thought, we thought, and, and the evangelical church firmly believed for a long time that we could fix this with a political answer. That it, things would get better if we would just put the right people in office. Vote this platform, vote for that guy, he sounds like a Christian, we'll put him in, everything's going to get turned around. It never turns around. It hasn't. It's getting worse. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to hang crepe and scare you. We need to understand what our situation is because Jesus Christ is the answer to this. The Holy Spirit is the answer to this. The gospel is the answer to our problems, not Washington, D.C. So if we're devoting our time to something other than the gospel, we're missing a chance to change the culture. So we need to understand this is the environment we're in because as we immerse ourselves in the anxiety and the fear of our culture, it is, we are dangerously close to letting that flow from us. Anxiety, fear, anger, bitterness. And what is Paul trying to teach us? We will reap what we sow. Paul's trying to teach us that we will reap what we sow. You see, the spiritual principle of sowing and reaping applies to every part of our life, not just our money. There's the deeper teaching here. 
It pertains to every area of our life. Everything good we sow will come back as good. Everything bad we sow will come back to us as bad. Well, I've never thought about sowing anger, John. I've never thought about sowing fear. Uh, but I guess you're right. I got to tell you something. That's the low-hanging fruit. That's the easy stuff. That's the stuff that should, uh, uh, you know, I'm not expressing Jesus Christ. I'm angry at my brother. And that's not just not Jesus. That's the easy stuff. Let's get to some of the harder stuff. Okay. Do you know that we can sow pride? You know anything about this? You know, the arrogance it takes for me to think that I'm right and my, the person I'm talking to is wrong. Where's that going to go? They're going to go, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, you're much better than I am. I'm sorry, I had a misperception here. What is that so in them? When I express my arrogance, my pride to the people around me, what comes out of them? Arrogance and pride. Oh, I've got to assert myself. I don't agree with that. You know, who do you think you are? I'm important too. I mean, we're seeing it throughout our culture. Everybody's important. As long as you're not a Christian, everything's important. Okay, so you can sow pride. You're going to, you're going to reap pride. You, you can sow self-centeredness. I'm the most important person in the room. Everybody needs to listen to me. I have a voice, and I have something to say, and it's really important. And when you do that in a crowded room, what's going to happen? Somebody else is going to go, well, I have a voice too. I have something important to say. We sow pride and arrogance we sow self-centeredness. We get it back. I think you're here for me. No, I think you're here for me. We can sow, catch this, we can sow isolation. Think about that. You know what? I want to be by myself. I don't want anybody to bother me today. I, 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 I don't want to pray. I don't read my Bible. I just want to be left alone. Now, if you've ever been in that position, you know that the more you're alone, the more you want what? To be alone. I want more. You sow isolation, you reap isolation. I want to be apart from God. I've, I've had enough of this religious stuff. I need some downtime. Well, that turns into I need some more downtime, more downtime, more downtime. The next thing you know, you're spiritually isolated. You know, think about sowing isolation. We can sow contempt. You know what? I, I, I just don't agree with your position on this issue. And I got to tell you something. It offends me. Again, how many times have we done that? And somebody, oh, I didn't know you were offended. I'm so sorry. I was wrong. Yeah, I, 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 you're, you're absolutely right. You've convinced me. It doesn't happen. When, when we sow contempt, inevitably, we reap contempt. It's where the arguments come. It's where the divisions come from. It's where the church is so set apart from the culture that it's in that it can no longer witness to it. We can sow judgment. Well, I, that's wrong. That's sin. You can't do that. You should act more like me. And what happens? They look at us and go, no, you're wrong. Judgment comes right back at us. Now, even those are, are relatively easy. If we think about them, that, that, you know, that kind of makes sense. You ever think about sowing worry? Worry? I mean, I'm worried. I'm, what, what are you worried about? 
oh, my kids are out for the night and uh, it's snowing out and uh, they're not very good drivers and I haven't heard from them for the last hour and I'm worried about them. Half hour later, what happens? I'm more worried. <laughs> hour later, uh, I heard a siren. Do you think it's them? We can so worry with each other. You know, uh, I'm worried about my back, Carol. And you go, oh yeah, I'm worried about my headache. Your back, my headache, let's worry together. So, yeah, I mean, sowing worry is nothing more than distrusting what God's doing. Well, you know what? That's kind of easy too if we think about it. Let me give you a hard one. We can sow unforgiveness. Think about that for a second. We can withhold grace. We can, in our bitterness, in our hurt, in our genuine hurt, we can refuse to forgive. Now we're sowing unforgiveness. What's going to come back to us? Forgiveness? You can't produce forgiveness from that. You see, the whole idea of sowing and reaping reaches into every part of our life. Matthew 6 says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, th this is not about losing your salvation. Matthew's writing to the church. What he's saying is, look, if you walk in forgiveness, you can walk in peace and joy. If you walk in forgiveness, you can walk in blessing. If you're not willing to forgive, this is going to be a hard walk. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to stumble. You're not going to be a happy person. You can't hold on to bitterness and experience the joy of Jesus Christ. You can't hold on to unforgiveness and experience the repentance that you need to restore your relationship with the Father. We can sow unforgiveness. And that goes hand in hand with judgment. Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Isn't this what Paul's trying to show the Corinthians? Look, this works deeper than just in the money. If, if you can get past the whole money issue, there are riches to be mined in, in this principle. And he's just taking a theological principle that he's established with them and extending it to its practical end. Uh, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Why, was, why is God able to make all grace abound to us? Why would he? The answer is right there. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God sheds his grace on us so that we can abound in good works. He says, as it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Second step in Paul's leading to a promise is what you sow, you will reap. And, and I told you it's an agrarian thing. The, the Jews listening to Paul would have gotten this. You know, uh, they, when, when they planted, they had seed. And when they planted, they didn't go out to the field and say, okay, I've got some seed here, but I need to save some, so I'm just going to plant half of my seed. 
and hope that I get a bountiful harvest. They scattered seed everywhere. They knew that the more seed they planted, the more harvest they got. The Jews would have gotten this very implicitly. So we, we, we have to understand, so who sows liberally as often as he can will reap liberally as often as he can. And so what do we sow? What do we sow? Well, you know, Scripture is very clear on this. We sow the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, we sow love, we sow patience, we sow, sow joy, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and, and self-control. As we sow those things, they start coming back to us, and we have what? We have peace, we have joy, we have unity. We're able to stand against a world that is against us and say, no, the love of Christ can overcome all this stuff. Farmer knows if he plants bad seed, he's going to get bad fruit. And what the farmer knows is what Paul is trying to tell us, that God gives us gifts. God gives us gifts. God gives us gifts so that we can give them away. He doesn't give them to us for our edification. He doesn't give them to us so that we would be esteemed He doesn't give them to us for a comfort. He gives us gifts so that we can give them away. You've got a talent, give it away. You've got a vocation, show somebody else how to do it. You've got got an abundance of of food or money or transportation or whatever, start giving it away, giving it away. And watch what God does with that, okay? Here's the illustration I got for you on this. If, If I've got a couple pieces of candy, I got them in my hand. This is fantastic. I got it, right? What do I got room for in there? Absolutely nothing. God says, do this. Do this. I'll fill your hand to overflowing. I'll give you more than you can receive. And the more you give away, the more I'll give you. So he doesn't give us his stuff to hold on to. You know, we, we kind of live in a hoarding society. You know, we, we're, we're taught, you know, build your 401k. Nobody's going to take care of you when you get old. We're taught, keep it, keep it squirreled away. Uh, somebody might come and get it. There are all sorts of people that are trying to get your stuff, trying to get your stuff. Don't answer the phone. Don't answer the email. Somebody's trying to get your stuff. We know that. How about this one? Don't let the immigrants in. They're trying to get your stuff. God's sitting in heaven say, that's why I gave it to you. So that you could give it to them. We're all immigrants. We're all aliens in an alien land, aren't we? Paul's trusting that the spirit that dwells in the Corinthians is the same spirit that dwells in him and will not only teach them the lesson, but give them the capability to walk it out. And he wants them to walk it out because, this is step three, there's a reward. There's a reward when we get it right. Now, for you theologians out there, reward, we have to be real careful with that word because when I hear the word reward, I think of somebody hanging me a plaque that I'm going to go put on my wall and show people that I got it. Look, I got this reward. I've got, I've, got, I've got more of these plaques. I've got a lot of rewards. Aren't I a great guy? So, but it's the same as the sowing and reaping thing. Sometimes we kind of avoid it and pretend it's not there, but it is. There's a, there's a promise here. 
Look at verse 10. He who supplies, listen to this, he who supplies, this is God, our Father in heaven, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Why? For sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's all right there. As we give this stuff away, God will multiply it. He'll give us more. Why? So that we can continue to sow it. And what will rise up from that is righteousness. What will rise up from that is a closer relationship with our Father. What will rise up from that is our capability to put our pillow on our head at the end of the night and go to sleep. We can have peace. We can have joy in the middle of the storm that's coming our way. We can survive all this and live in a manner worthy of our calling if we're willing to give away those things that God gives us rather than hold on to them preciously. When good, holy, and godly things are sown, the harvest, the reward is righteousness. Just put in there, holiness, sanctification, a deeper walk. When we put God on display in our lives, and, and begin drawing near to him, he begins to refine us. Look at verses 11 through 15. You will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When we start giving, when we start letting go, thanks begins to flow. Glory begins going to the Father. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. The body begins praising God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. The Holy Spirit is moving here and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. I mean, if you're reading this correctly, you see that Paul has been deeply moved by this teaching. It's sunk deep into his heart, and he wants the same thing to happen for the Corinthians. This is why he is being, listen, this is why he is being patient with them. This is why he's being an encourager to them. This is why he's being a brother to them and loving them. Paul is sowing patience and encouragement and love because that's what he wants to reap. So he's not just building them up. He's watching God do what God says he will do. So that's why he reviewed their situation. That's why he reminded them of the promise that they made. And that's why he took time to describe this indescribable reward that they're going to get. If they get it right, then they get the reward. Now, that's not easy. It takes hard work. It takes discipline. It takes a commitment. Some participation is required. They've got to move in that di direction. It, put, it takes a willingness for them to put their personal feelings aside and not function on emotion, but function on the truth of God's word. It takes them... Uh, truly wanting to treat others as more important than themselves. It takes them a passionate desire to want to honor God in everything that they do. Why? It's because we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Paul finishes on a high note. I love this because it kind of it brings everything into perspective. Uh, you know, he's 
trusting Christ in them. He's transforming them. He's transforming Paul. He's not done with any of them. He's transforming you and me. All because of the work that Christ done on a cross and the, the indwelling spirit. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul said, you know, I've, I've tried to describe this to you, but I, I just, I, I can't. It, it's so awesome. It's so magnificent. It's so deep. It's so profound that my words just have not done this justice. And what I want you to do, I want you to think about it. I want you to carry this with you. Those guys are coming. I know you're going to do the right thing, but I want this to go deeper than that commitment, that financial commitment you made. I want you to see that what flows from you is what will flow to you. Now, apparently, the Corinthians responded well. We read it earlier. Romans 15, from Macedonia and Achaia, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. We're willing to surrender ourselves to the Father. We're willing to conform ourselves to the Word of God. There's a reward for us. And the reward is a deeper relationship with Him, all made possible by the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and praise You for Your extreme generosity, Father. Knowing that You did uh, the things that You did not have to do, but you did them because you love us. You did them because you want to reveal your glory. You did them because you want to put on display the transformation that our hearts are going through. Help us, Father. Help us to do that because we confess that we're weak in some of these areas. We stumble from time to time. We don't handle it real well. We pray, Father, by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit that you would continue to enable us to walk in these truths that you stated here, Father. To you be the glory in Jesus' name.